Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Uh, last week we began a brand new series based on a, a song from a children's show. Uh, if you were here last week, you know Pastor Thompson came out to that song and he uh, put on a a red cardigan, and I didn't have time to get a red cardigan, so you just got me today. I hope that's okay. Um, but we began, that, that song began on a children's show in the late 60s and ran for nearly 30 years on public broadcasting, a show where a Presbyterian minister looked into the camera each day and, de- and dared to ask a simple question in song when he asked simply, won't you be my neighbor? Now, I grew up on Mr. Rogers, and many of you did as well, and if you didn't, I feel sorry for you because you missed out on some of the best television ever made. And there's a lot of bad stuff on TV, but Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was not one of them. Uh, it was an amazing show that taught great principles that guide lives. I know it was not shoot 'em up, bang, bang, exciting, but it made a difference in my life as a kid. And my son, who's 24, grew up, and we let him sit down and watch Mr. Rogers, and he loved it. And he would, and he would stand here today if he was here, and he would defend Mr. Rogers to the hilt because he loved the Mr. Rogers show. Uh, that simple show was a staple of my childhood, and it's a show that encouraged children to imagine and to travel in their minds to the land of make-believe, uh, where King Friday and Daniel the Striped Tiger and Lady Elaine, and of course the star of each show, Mr. Fred Rogers. And the show on its merits, while pretty simple, uh, compared to the fast-paced action of today's shows, it was so simple, but it had a way of infusing its viewers with amazing principles of kindness and love and Uh, All the while not being afraid to deal with real life issues uh, in a way that helped kids to understand the things that were happening in their world all around them from a perspective of the kindness and love of God. Uh, Being Mr. Rogers was an ordained minister, many of his simple lessons were actually principles that are outlined in the teachings of Jesus. And uh, I'd like to share one of those principles with you today. Uh, To be honest, in many ways, this, this particular passage could be the overarching theme for the entire series that we're in, Won't You Be my neighbor. Uh, It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. It says, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus said that all the law and all the commandments of the Old Testament could literally be summed up by fulfilling two commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, throughout the New Testament, that concept is spilled out over and over and over again, relaying to us the importance of learning to love one another. As a matter of fact, the entire book of 1 John, if you've never read the book of 1 John, it seems to be completely about this concept of loving our brother or loving one another. Several times it even goes so far as to say, if we say we love God and we don't love our brother or have hate in our heart for our brother, then the truth is not in us and we're liars. And so it was such an important concept to the early church, and I think it should be an important concept today that we learn to love one another. Can you say amen? Uh, 
As a matter of fact, there's a parallel passage to Matthew 22. It can be found in Luke chapter 10. And uh, this particular passage gives us really some additional insight into what Jesus was telling us when he told us to love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, matter of fact, before I get to that passage, I want to encourage you to realize that this series that we're in right now for the month of October is not really about determining who my neighbor is. It's really not about figuring out the person that I have to love, but rather it's a challenge to us to determine what it means to be a neighbor. It's meant to challenge us to get outside of ourselves, our individual groups and cliques, our socially acceptable set of friends, and move uh, to those who move away from those necessarily who look like us, talk like us, act like us, vote like us, think like us, to move beyond that group and begin to select neighbors and recognize that God wants us to be neighbors, not just have neighbors. Does that make sense? He wants us to truly become neighbors. And that's my question for each of you today. It's not who is my neighbor, but my question is, am I being a neighbor? And that's the title of my message today, Am I Being a Neighbor? Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do that and you'll live. Again, it's a very similar story to Matthew chapter 22, uh, where the Pharisees had come to test Jesus. This is a religious leader. Uh, he's a lawyer, and he was coming to test Jesus. Uh, but in this case, Jesus follows up this amazing statement, this revelation about loving God and loving your neighbor. He follows it up by telling one of the most read stories in the Bible. Verse 29, the man wanted to justify his actions. Hey, this is why I'm asking you this, Jesus. So he asked Jesus another question. He said, who is my neighbor? So let's find out the answer that Jesus gave him. Verse 30, it said, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up, and they left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked that question, and then the man replied in verse 37, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. So let's take a look at that story for a moment. We know it as the story of the Good Samaritan. I'd like to take a look at it with you if we can. When you talk about parables, which are what stories that Jesus told, when you talk about those parables, you have to understand that every parable that Jesus told gives us insight into the kingdom of God. And every parable is designed to really relay information about how, as members of God's kingdom, we're supposed to act, we're supposed to live, and ultimately how we're supposed to impact the world around us as members of the kingdom of God. Many times in these parables, people have tried to add extra 
uh, explanation, if you will, as to what each part of the parable might possibly mean. They've looked for spiritual meaning to some of the pieces of the parable to try to get extra insight. And while there are parables that do have those things, sometimes a story is just a story. Sometimes the people in the story are just people in the story. Uh, but if you go to a commentary today, and you could look up, there are thousands of commentaries about the Bible, uh, and you can look up all different kinds of people's ideas about this particular story. Uh, you can go right now, and there's a Bible, there's a, one of those books in my office, and you can look at it, and you'll find that the people will say that the traveler in this story represents man, and he has left the heavenly city, Jerusalem, and he's headed to the worldly city of Jericho. And the robbers, well, they're representatives of the devil and sin, and they leave man dying in sin. And the priest and the Levite, they refer to the law and its sacrifices, which were unable to help man with his condition. And the good Samaritan is Jesus, who provides the help that's needed. And the wine, well, that represents the blood of Christ. And the oil, that represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the inn, well, that's the church. And the innkeeper, that represents the apostles. And the two coins, they represent baptism or communion or any number of items, depending upon your particular persuasion. Do you think that's what Jesus meant when he told that story? I don't. I don't think Jesus had any of those thoughts in mind when he told that particular story. One of the things you have to understand in regards to any biblical writing is that not everything is a spiritual symbol of something else. Much of biblical writing is meant to be exactly what is written. Sometimes in the Bible, when the Bible says the sky is blue, guess what? The sky is blue. It doesn't mean the sky is bathed in royalty. It means it's blue. Sometimes in the Bible says they built a boat. The boat is not meant to be the church that saves mankind. It meant they built a boat. That's what it means, okay? And so sometimes a coin, pardon the thought, is actually money. Sometimes an innkeeper, sorry if this sounds heretical, is actually a dude that works at a motel. Sometimes a hurting, bleeding man on the side of the road is a bleeding, hurting man on the side of the road. And this morning, before we look at all sorts of hidden meaning in this story, I want us to take a look at the very visible and evidentiary meaning that is obvious to every reader of this story. What did Jesus intend for us to gain when he told this man the story? The text begins with a conversation between Jesus and the lawyer. The lawyer stands up to test Jesus. He says, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? A lawyer in this context is probably not what we think of as a lawyer. He's not somebody who works in a courthouse defending litigants or anything like that. This is a person who's trained in the religious law, and he worked at the temple most likely, giving people insight into what the law meant. And upon hearing this lawyer's question, Jesus answers the question by pointing him back to the law. He says, you're a lawyer. What does the law say? And he he says, the law says, according to verse 27, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, right, go do that, and you're going to live. Upon those two laws, they're found in Deuteronomy 6 and 5 and Leviticus 19 and 18, one to love God and the other to love each other, the whole law of Moses could be found and summed up. It was a common teaching by the scribes and elders of Jesus' day. 
Many times we read that and we think Jesus was introducing this amazing new concept of love God and love your neighbor, that's all you need to do. But that was a common teaching of the day. It came from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And it would have been common to go in any synagogue that day and the synagogue leaders say, everything in the law and the prophets can be summed up by learning to love God and loving your neighbor. And according to Jesus, eternal life could be inherited by fulfilling and being obedient to those two commands. That's the harder part. It was taught but it's harder to be obedient to it. Can you say amen? But the lawyer was not finished or content with that particular answer. If you notice verse 29, the man wanting to justify his actions. I want to justify why I stood up to test Jesus. He, he asked Jesus this. He said, okay, and who is my neighbor? If I got to love my neighbor as myself, tell me who my neighbor is. I want to know which one I got to love. And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So we immediately try to determine, okay, who's my neighbor? Who's the one I've got to love? Why? Because there are some people that we don't want to have to love so immediately, do we? We begin to try to justify ourselves by determining who it is that we would have to love. What is the requirement? Do I really have to love everyone, or can there be some limitations? Do I have to, Jesus, which one do I have to love? Do I have to love 6202 Lodgepole Drive and 6210 Lodgepole Drive, or can I just love 6207 Lodgepole Drive? Which ones do I have to love, right? Those are the ones that live around me. Those are my, which ones, God, I need to know which neighbor I got to love. So Jesus says, you want to know who your neighbor is? Let me tell you a story. Pastor mentioned this last week. We all know people like this, some wise elder in our life who, when we ask them a simple question that we just want a simple answer to, they instead give us a story. You want to say, if I wanted a story, I'd have contacted Paul Harvey for the rest of it. I just want the story. I just want the answer. Elders in our life are really smart. They don't want you to discover the answer. They, they don't want you to, to tell you the answer. They want you to discover it for yourself. Uh, you will be more likely to live up to it, so they tell you a story. If you've ever gone to a therapist or a counselor, if it's, if it's a good one, if it's a bad one, they'll just come in and they'll tell you everything you're supposed to do. But if it's a good counselor or a good therapist, they ask you a whole lot of questions to guide you to discovering the answer for yourself. Because if you discover your answer for yourself, you're more likely to be obedient to it and live up to it. But if, you've got to, if somebody's always got to tell you the answer, next time you run into a problem, instead of solving the problem for yourself, you quickly run to somebody else to give me an answer. And you just chase answers all your life instead of looking to change so that you become a better person. That's what Jesus is doing here when he's telling this story. He's saying, hey, I'm just not going to quickly tell you who your neighbor is. I want to tell you a story so you can determine what it is to be a good neighbor. Is everybody with me? And that's what Jesus does. Now he tells them that a man travels from Jerusalem to Jericho and on his journey he is beaten. From Jerusalem to Jericho was a distance of about 20 miles. It was a dangerous road. It was known as the road of blood. And because of the robbers who were known to work their evil ways along this path from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was stripped of his clothing and he was wounded by thieves and the travelers left for dead Two different gentlemen pass by and do nothing. The first was a priest. The second was a Levite or someone who worked at the temple. Both of them were religious figures of their day. Then a Samaritan comes by, and he was moved with compassion, the Bible says. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. Samaritans were descendants of those who came to live in Palestine during the time of the Jewish people's Assyrian captivity. And they were in many cases the descendants of those who married the few remaining Jews that were left 
uh, they were married with the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were their captors. And so naturally, because of the Assyrian uh, lineage, they were angry and frustrated with them because they'd taken them into captivity. So there was a natural hatred there that had developed. And this Samaritan would have been despised by the Jews, that, and yet he is the one who shows compassion. He bandages his wounds. He applies oil and wine, which was simple first aid for that time frame. He puts the wounded man on his own animal and takes him to an inn. There he gives the innkeeper two denarii, or the, Bible, or the New Living Translation says two silver coins. That would have been equivalent to basically two days' worth of wages to provide for this man's care. <clears throat> he tells the innkeeper to spend whatever is necessary to help this traveler recover because he will repay him with any overages when he returns. Now, after telling that story, Jesus then asked the question, which of these three proved to be a neighbor? The lawyer replied, obviously, with with the correct answer. He says, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus then admonishes the lawyer to go and to do likewise. Now, notice that Jesus turns the focus of the original question from who is my neighbor to who was the one who became neighbor to the one in need. And see, I think that's a really important question because it indicates that Jesus sought to draw attention away from who is my neighbor, who's that person that i got to be neighborly to, and put the attention on what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus wanted us to understand that it was more important to be neighborly than to determine who my neighbors are. Jesus turns love from words to action, from love on paper to love in demonstration. Don't tell me that you love me. Show me that you love me, right? How many of you ever thought that way? You know, you got somebody that tells you that they love you all the time, but then they treat you really bad. Uh, Do you really love me? No, I don't think so, because you treat me bad. If you love me, show me that you love me. Some people want to run around and say, I've got to love them because they're my neighbor. But these I don't have to love because they aren't my neighbor. Jesus turned it around and dealt with more about what it meant to be neighborly rather than to try and narrow down who we have to love. So let's talk about the lessons that I think we can learn from this parable when we see it from its purpose, that being to show us how to love our neighbor. The question that was asked of Jesus was, who is my neighbor? And so I think we ought to answer that question. He took the time to ask it, so let's answer it. I think from the story we can learn that a neighbor is anyone that is in need whom we can help. I think a neighbor is anybody that comes into your path or contact that is in need and you can help. Many times, We think that our neighbor is someone with whom we share certain likes or dislikes. We share a backyard. We watch football together. He helps me take out my trash when I'm out of town. We have kids the same age. We both enjoy football. We work together. We go fishing together, whatever. Some may think that our neighbors are those of the same race or nationality or religious background. Maybe even we think that our neighbor would be anyone that is not our enemy. But Jesus throws that whole thought process out of the window when he uses a Samaritan as the key figure in his story. See, Jesus could have picked a Jewish guy. He could have picked a religious guy. He could have said the priest went over, picked him up, and cared for him. He didn't. He picked a Samaritan. And he shows by doing so that, you know what? You can't relegate who your best buddy is, who your neighbor is going to be, based on what they look like or how they act. It's going to be somebody that you're going to love that sometimes it's uncomfortable to do so. 
The Samaritans were different in race, nationality, and religion from the Jews. They were, there was great animosity between these two groups of people. Though they considered each other enemies, the Samaritans here was helping a Jew in need. He would have looked at this man and thought of him as an enemy. They would have spit on each other if they could, and yet he was helping him while he was in need. Understand, the Jewish man who was in need was left by the side of the road by those who could have helped him. But he was helped by someone who had no reason to help him. Whom, if truth be told and the roles were reversed, the guy in the ditch would have been walked on by the guy that was the Samaritan in most cases. And I think that's an important thing to remember. And so, if we are ever going to fulfill the great commands given by Jesus to love God and to love our neighbor, I think we got to learn to love others, no matter who they are, what they look like, no matter what their background is or what we think of them. Matthew chapter 5 Verse 43, I love this passage because it has smote me more times than not. Jesus says this, he says, you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <laughs> but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as a true child of your father in heaven, for he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. If you are the kind who only loves your, if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I thought about this this morning, and I mentioned it in the first service. This is one time when Jesus asks us to be perfect, and it's not tied to our actions. There's not a list that if you do, you get 100% on, you got the test passed, you got the good grade, you're perfect. Uh-uh. He ties our perfection to our willingness to love our enemies, to willingness to love those that are despitefully using us, hurting us, being against us. That's who he ties our, our perfection to. And so it's not that you can become perfection by attaining this, this high standard of living, but rather you become perfect in the eyes of God by showing love to those that nobody else will. I want to be that. How about you? <clears throat> so friend or enemy, our neighbor, based on God's word, is those that are in need, and you have the ability to help. The Bible even goes so far as to say if, if you have the ability to do good and you don't do it, that's sin. I don't know about you. I don't want to sin in the eyes of God by withholding good when God gives me opportunity to share, and so I want to be a good neighbor. Amen? Our second lesson today can be found here uh, as well. I said, and this is what I believe it is. I think it's, if you'll notice Jesus shows the difference between being neighborly and being religious. One of the three people to pass down the Jericho Road, only one of them was a neighbor. The other two were religious folks. And Jesus is showing the difference between the two. The priest and the Levite should have been influenced by their religious beliefs to help. The scripture taught them that they were to take care of strangers. Leviticus 19.33, it says, Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God reminded them that they were once strangers in a foreign land and they had been taken care of and they needed to turn around and treat strangers with love and kindness. When they separated being neighborly, from their religion, they become hypocritical, and we do too. See, I know we don't like to hear this, but the priest and the Levite, if this was 2021, they would have been members of the church, okay? They would have been us, and the Bible literally says 
that they, one of them, saw the dude in the ditch and kept on going. The other church member walked over. Yep, that dude's in the ditch. And he went to the other side and he went on down the road, right? We don't like to hear that, but that's us. That's what we did in the story. But that's not what Christ is asking us to do. Guess what, guys? Being hypocritical means that you are acting as if you're above something else. You know, you think you're better than things. That's being hypocritical because the reality is we're all sinners just saved by the mighty grace of God. And the reality is this. Every one of us was in the ditch. And without Jesus coming along and lifting us up out of the ditch, we'd still be in the ditch. We all were in need of a Samaritan to come and lift us up. And thank God Jesus became our good Samaritan and did lift us up out of the ditch. And so when we see others in the ditch, we have a responsibility not to pass them by, but to allow our religious experience to guide us and lead us into helping them up out of the ditch and getting their feet under them and helping them continue on in their life. That's what being a good neighbor is all about. James 1.22, I love this because as Christians we are inundated with good words and we're inundated with preaching and we hear the word on the regular basis but this is what James says he said don't just listen to God's word you must do what it says otherwise you're only fooling yourself what kind of religion do we have have we separated our religious experience from our responsibility to love others because if we have we're only fooling ourselves we really don't have much of a religious experience that changes us unless it drives us to change the life of someone else we need to be able to love our neighbor. Amen? The third point I want to make is this. Being neighborly requires compassion. The Bible says that the Samaritan had compassion on the man who was laying by the side of the road. Compassion is a word that in English we think of it in the sense of helping needy people, throwing money at those who are less fortunate, having compassion, right? There's even an organization called Compassion International that helps to provide food and for, for people around the world who are in need, children. And, and literally, it's the opportunity for you to write a check, mail it in, and somebody else feeds people around the world. And I'm not saying it's not a great thing. You ought to do that. You ought to give to missions. You ought to do all of those things. But don't let your compassion be summed up by a check that you write once a month. Compassion has to be more than just throwing money at problems. Compassion has to be willing to get dirty with the problem and get down in the midst of it and help kick people up out of the, out of the ditch that they're in. Because in the Bible, compassion means to be moved in such a way that your insides yearn within you to take action. Compassion means that you are moved in such a way that you can't stand another day of not helping to fix the problem. See, when we have compassion, we're going to be moved to make a difference. To me, that sounds a lot like love, doesn't it? I mentioned this earlier today. My wife and I, we celebrated our 27th wedding anniversary on Thursday, Thursday, Friday, October the 8th. And I know what it means to be moved to, to love someone so much that I want to do whatever it takes to make a difference in their life, right? If you're married and you don't feel that, we need to take you to a marriage session and get you fired up because you got to feel something for your spouse that makes you want to help if any thing is possible. And so 
I may not always have all the answers, but man, if she needs something, I want to provide it. I may not have the money at the moment, but I'm going to find a way, right? Because I want to do whatever I can to take care of what she needs at that moment because I'm moved with my love for her. And you know, the same is true with our relationship with this world. There are people out there that are hurting every day. And the Bible, if we really have the love of God, should move us to compassion. We should see them as hurting and recognize that we got to do something. We may not have the answer. We may not have all the money. We may not have all the answers right now, but I want to find away. I'm going to do something to help those that are hurting and in need. So what does it mean to show compassion? I think that's a good question that we need to answer this morning. And I think to show compassion, the first thing we got to be willing to do is we got to be willing to cross social barriers. Jesus illustrated by using the Samaritan in this parable that there should never be any religious, racial, or national barriers to showing compassion. There is no place for prejudice or racism in the kingdom of God. And if you don't realize that by now, I need to bring you to this altar and hold you here until you get that out of your system because there's no place for that in the kingdom of God. Too many times people have practiced racism in the name of Christ. Jesus calls us to put aside our differences and realize that God's love should motivate us to have compassion on everybody. No matter what their situation, no matter what their background, no matter what they look like, we need to have compassion. That's the only way we can be a neighbor. Also, I think to show compassion, we've got to be willing to take risk. The Samaritan took a great risk by stopping on the side of that road that day. What if the robbers were still nearby? What if other thieves came by? After all, this was known as the way of blood. It wasn't an uncommon thing to be robbed on this road. Christians are called upon to take risk if we're going to really show compassion. Luke chapter 6 and verse 30, Jesus says, Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't even try to get them back. Man, that's a, that's a risk, isn't it? Man, how do you know that people won't take advantage of your generosity? They will. But, but this is an area where, honestly, you're just going to have to trust in the mercy and grace of God. He makes up for the difference. When you invest in somebody else and you put your time and resources into helping somebody, it's a pretty good chance you're never going to see it back from them. But the Bible tells me he who helps the poor will not lack, and I stand on the word of God, and I'm going to trust in his mercies and grace. When you show compassion to others in their time of need, you can guarantee that God will look out for you because you are acting most like Jesus when you care for somebody who's hurting and in need. Third way I think we can show compassion is to show it, you got to be willing to set aside your busy schedule. Notice this Samaritan was on his own journey. He was going somewhere, right? I mean, you don't just travel the road from Jericho to Jerusalem just for exercise. He was going somewhere. He had a purpose. And he took the time to stop and to care for this man on this 20-mile journey from Jericho to Jerusalem. Jesus taught us to take the time to show compassion, even if we're forced to break our schedule to do it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, the uh, Bible says, If a soldier demands that he, you carry his gear for a mile, you need to carry it two miles. That was a reference to the Roman law that if a Jew was asked by a Roman to assist in his travels, to, to, by law, he had to go one mile. Jesus went so far as to say, you may have to go one, but I'm telling you, you need to go two. So let, think about this logically for a moment, because this is how my brain works. I've walked with this guy now for two miles, and it was not my intention to go these two miles. So now I got to walk four, because I got to get back to where I came from. 
I don't walk two miles in a circle. What would be the point? I'm carrying this guy's pack just because I want to carry it? No. I got to walk two miles back to where I came from. Sometimes, if we're really going to love others the way Jesus commanded us to, we got to go the extra mile and the two miles back to where we started. We got to be willing to set aside our own agenda, our own desire, and learn to respond to the needs of others when opportunities arise for us to do so. Now, to show compassion, you also got to be willing to make sacrifices, right? Think about this guy for a moment. This Samaritan gave more than just time and energy. He sacrificed more than just his busy schedule. He used provisions that he had brought for his journey for himself. Luke chapter 10, verse 34, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. Those are things he brought. They weren't just sitting at a roadside stand waiting for him to pick them up. And he bandaged them. That means he had bandages with him. So he opened up his own first aid kit and used it for this man. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to the inn where he took care of him. They didn't just have a Walgreens with a drive-in on the side of the Jericho Road. That was his oil. That was his wine. That was his animal that he put the beaten traveler on. This guy, and I said it in the first service, I just got to make this plain. It was his donkey. That was his mode of transportation. Anybody get here today riding a donkey? No, but you rode a Ford or a Chevy or a Nissan or some other beast of burden in our day and age, right? You were in your Honda. You got here in a car, four tires and a steering wheel, or at least two tires and a handlebar. But you got here somehow, right? On something. This guy says, you know what? This dude, I'm going to take him up out of the ditch, and I am putting him in my Lexus, and I'm going to walk along the side of the road and guide him from outside the car. Because he didn't get on the back of the donkey with the guy. He literally gave him his transportation, and he walked the road the 20 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem with a sick man carrying on his donkey. That was a sacrifice, folks, and sometimes we got to be willing to sacrifice. Sometimes we have to be willing to help. Sometimes we are willing to help somebody as long as it doesn't cut into our excess, right? Long as we don't have to put ourselves out. When was the last time you did something that cut into your own provisions? What you had set aside for yourself. You got out, you, you put your pants on, and you found $5 in your pocket that you didn't know about that made it to make it through the washing machine. And then somebody's in need and you hand them $5. That wasn't $5 you was planning for. You just gave it away. Didn't really affect you. But when was the last time you looked at your bank account and you looked at your bills and you saw somebody in need and you took bill money and you gave it to somebody that was in need because they, you knew that they needed it more than you did at that moment? That's when it's cutting into your provisions. That's what it means to sacrifice to help somebody else. In addition to offering his own provisions, the Samaritan then offers an open-ended agreement to provide the aid that was needed to care for the beaten traveler. The next day, the Bible says he handed the two silver coins to the innkeeper and tells him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Whatever it costs, I'll find a way. Could it have gotten costly? Yep. Could it have gotten him taken advantage of? You better believe it. If we were to take it into our terms, it would be like you finding a guy on the side of Atley Road, putting him in your car, taking him to Memorial Regional Medical Center, dropping him off, saying, I'm covering the first three days. I'm going to go on my journey. When I come back three days from now, whatever the cost has been and whatever it ends up costing, you don't have to bill insurance. I will take care of it. Anybody ready to sign on for that bill yet? If so, my dad's in the hospital. I can hook you up. 
That's what he's doing here. I don't know, and again, whenever I read the Bible, I try to put myself in the story and I try to make it as plain as possible for me to understand it, but that's what's happening. He's literally showing so much compassion that he's willing to take on responsibility for things that are not his to take on responsibility for to help somebody in need. Jesus taught his disciples to be willing to make those kind of sacrifices. Luke chapter 6, verse 29, he said, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If somebody demands your coat, give him your shirt too. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. We live in a world where we are very litigious. We are in a world where we love to get vengeance and retribution. We want to get things right. If somebody does us wrong, we want to make it right, right? That's our world that we live in. Jesus says, if somebody punches you in the face, turn the other side of your face and let them have a second swing. Jesus says, if literally the dude takes your coat Take your shirt off and give it to him too. That gives a whole new meaning to taking the shirt off your back, doesn't it? That's what he's literally saying. And then he says, you know what? When people take things from you, don't live your life in such a way that you're trying to get retribution. Just understand that that, let them have it. I'll take care of you because you're in my kingdom. We are most like Christ when we're willing to make sacrifices to show compassion to those in need. I love Ephesians chapter 5. I don't know that this is my life verse, but it's one of my, fa- one of my five favorites, I think. In the, New K- in the New King James, it says to imitate Christ. In the New Living Translation, it says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you're his dear children. I want to be an imitator of Christ. I want to have my life, when, it, when Jesus looks at me, that he looks at me and sees things in me that are like him. That's, I wanted him to see the compassion that he showed to the world emulating out of my life. I have a 24-year-old son, a 20-year-old daughter, and when I look at them, there are things about them that I know are, that they do and they act like because of me. Not because they're necessarily, I'm going to imitate dad, but it becomes part of them. It's just who they are. And I look at my dad, who I spent a lot of time with over the last week, and I see some things and I, and I, and I catch myself doing things that are exactly the way he would have done them. Because I've watched him for so long. I want my life to be such a thing that I watched Christ minister to the world in so many ways that I begin to emulate that and I begin to imitate him and I show others the compassion that he showed to me. When I was in the ditch, he reached out and pulled me out. And guess what? I want to be able to do that for others as well as Jesus did for me. Remember, it was you and I who was damaged and broken and in need of compassion. Jesus gave it willingly. We ought to be willing to do the same. He sacrificed himself willingly for those who certainly had done nothing to deserve his compassion. And isn't that what compassion really is? It's showing love and mercy to those who are in need of it, who have done nothing to deserve it and get it anyway. I want to be that kind of neighbor, don't you? If our musicians and singers would come today as they, as they come and prepare, I ask again the question, not who is my neighbor, but am I being neighbor to those who need me most. To do so requires me to show love and compassion. Through this parable, Jesus challenges us to a higher standard of love. Higher in that the definition of a neighbor is broadened further than what we typically think of as neighbor. It's also higher in that the definition of compassion is greater than what we typically think compassion is really all about. So then the question for today is this, at what level do you love others? At what level is your compassion toward others? Is it at the level of the priest? When you see somebody in need, do you think, oh, God bless them. 
pastor mentioned the scripture last week. Be warm and filled. Hope you're okay and walk on. Or maybe your level is at the level of the temple, the temple worker. He walked over. Yep, dude's still breathing. All right. Good luck, buddy. And he went on about his day. If the, is that where you're at? If so, I'm not belittling you today. I'm asking you to step to a higher level. I'm asking you to, I'm challenging you as God has challenged each of us to rise to the level of not just religion, but compassion. Rise to the level of not just, okay, I see the need, but rise to the level of I can fix the need. I can help with the need. Maybe I don't have the answer, but I can certainly be a loving companion and put my arm around my brother and help him on down the road, right? I want to respond in that kind of way. I want to be neighbor. Luke chapter 10 and verse 36. Now, which of these three would you say was neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked him. And the man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, and this is what I would say to each of us today. Yes, now go and do the same. I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do today. He's not calling us to go and run for public office. If he is, God bless you, run for public office, I'll vote for you. But I think for most of us, he's calling us to go and be neighbors, to go and make disciples, and to go and change our world by showing love and compassion. For all the allegorical references that this parable could have, to me, the true meaning of the parable comes down to Luke chapter 10 and verse 33. The despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. And I ask you today, what do you, see, what do you feel when you see somebody in need? Do you think, oh, man, the state needs to really clean this place up, help these people out? Man, I wish the county would provide resources to take care of these people. Man, I wish the church would give them people some groceries. They give away all that bread to Panera Bread. I wish they'd take some of that bread to them. Or do you think, man, I got extra bread in my cabinet. Maybe I can make a difference. Many of you brought groceries this morning to church when you came for our grocery drive. Somebody's going to have a great Thanksgiving, and I thank you for that. If you haven't had a chance to do it yet, there's flyers in the Welcome Center that will allow you to know what we're asking for. But I want my compassion to be more than just a bag of groceries. I want my compassion to be more than just a few staples that I bought extra when I went to the grocery store. I want my compassion to reach beyond just ordinary to extraordinary living to where I look for people that are in need and I provide for them if I can. And if I can, I help them find the resources that they need to make a difference in their life. See, God's standard of loving others is so high. Do you have to stand around and weigh out all the consequences before you help somebody or do you just dive right in? No hesitation, no equivocation, no consultation. You see hurting and you jump in with compassion. That's Jesus' way of doing things and that's the way I want to be able to do it. Remember the words of Jesus from Matthew 25. The king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? 
when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. You did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters. You were doing it to me. If we could stand all over this house today. There's a lot of characters in that story, but I believe it ultimately boils down to two. Two main characters in the story. There's a Levite and there's a priest. Yeah, there's an innkeeper, but the story is really about two people. The Samaritan and the wounded man by the side of the road. And this morning, I believe primarily there are two kinds of people in this house today. There will always be people like the Levite and the priest. But I believe there are two types of people here. The first type of person is those that are striving to fulfill the commands of God, who just want to love their neighbor, who want to know, God, show me who my neighbor is so I can love them, so I can show compassion to them. If that's you today, I thank God for you. You are making an impact in our world in ways that you don't even know just by being willing to be neighborly to those that are in need. And to you today, I would encourage you to seek for God's help, seek for God's guidance, and ask yourself, how can I develop my sense of compassion so I can be neighbor to those that are in need? Walk slowly through the crowd, whether it's here at church or at the grocery store or at Walmart. Walk slowly through the crowd and let God begin to show you the needs of others that you can help along the way. And for those of you that are that person, you want to be neighbor, I want to challenge you today to come to this altar and connect to God. Say, God, show me how I can be the best neighbor possible. Show me how I can be led to others. But there's another group that's here today. And I apologize to this group greatly. There are people that are in this room who feel like they're the person in the ditch. And if I'm being honest, the church has failed you at times. The priest walked on by, the Levite walked on by, and they left you hurting in the ditch. And I want you to know today that even if you have been let down by others, no one has been neighbor to you. I serve a God today who stands in the gap ready to be your neighbor, ready to be that good Samaritan to show you the compassion and the love that you need to pick you up and to dust you off and to clean you of your wounds and to set you on the right path. And today, I want to open this altar to both kinds of people, and I'm not walking through the crowd trying to figure out who's who. Whoever you are today, we serve a Savior who can either prompt you to compassion or can heal you with His compassion, and we serve a God who's able today. And I want to invite you to come as they begin to sing.
make that your prayer right now, Lord. I want to be what you want me to be. Yes, I will. Oh, I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. As we get ready to leave here today, this is a message that honestly, you, you really have to take an act on, right? Okay, we can pray about it, but I can promise you, no matter how much you pray, the will of God is for you to make a difference in somebody's life, okay? You don't have to pray about that. That is the will of God for you. And so as we leave here, I want to challenge you to make a difference. Immediately when we talk about this kind of stuff, we think about homeless people. We think about people that are on the side of the road. We, those, that's who comes to mind. But this week, I want to challenge you to recognize that God stretches what it means to be neighborly, and he stretches what it means to be in need. There are people in your neighborhood that are lonely, that are hurting, and they just need a friend. There are widows and widowers in your neighborhood that are at home alone right now. And they don't know where to turn. They don't have no, they just need help. They just need some friends. They're single moms that try to do the best they can. And guess what they need? They need a neighbor. There's some single dads out there that are trying to figure life out and they don't know what to do. They, got, they, they feel like they're doing the very best they can do to, to stay connected to their kids. And yet it feels like their kids are a mile away. We need to figure out ways that we can be a help. There are people that are mentally in need. There are health, there, there's a health crisis going on in our world today with mental health. And guess what? We have an answer. We don't have all the answers, but we do have one answer. Jesus can help put our mind back together again. And we need to be able and willing to help people find the resources that they need. We need to be neighbor. And see, there are so many things that are out there, so many needs that are out there. It can become overwhelming. It can become like, God, I can't do for everybody, so I'm not going to do for anybody. But this would be my challenge for you this week. Every day, do for one what you would do for all if you had the resources to do it. Are you with me? Every day, look for one person that you can be a blessing to and make a difference in their life. Yes, I want to win the world. I want to touch thousands. I want to help everybody. But I can't help but one at a time. And so if you'll make it your goal every day when you get out the bed, God, show me my one today. Who's my one? I just need to show, show me one. Who's my one? And if you'll make that your goal every day, I believe God will lead you to a person that you can impact their life. And by the end of the week, guess what? You will have touched seven people. And by the end of the next week, you will have touched 14 people. And by the end of the next week, 21, 28, you do the math. It goes on and on. Why? Because you made a decision to touch one. Maybe it's five, maybe it's nine o'clock at night and you're ready for bed and you hadn't touched your one yet. Think of somebody. Send them a quick text and say, hey, I'm praying for you today. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm thinking about you. That's what you're doing. You're reaching into their world and you're letting them know that the love of God is real and he sent you a friend in the midst of the night that you needed. I can't tell you how many times I've woken up at 1.30 in the morning and looked at my phone and my daughter had sent me a text, are you still awake? And at 1.30, 2, 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, I'll pick it up and send her a text and say, I don't know what you needed but I'm praying for you. And the next day she called and she'd be crying. Thank you, Dad, for praying for me. I promise you, you don't know the difference you can make if you just choose to make a difference for one. Make that your goal this week. I'm asking you. Let's put action to this. Let's not just let it go. Be a neighbor. Don't just look for who is my neighbor, but let's make a difference in our world by being neighborly. Can you say amen? God bless you. One more time, let's thank the Lord. God, we thank you. We bless and honor your name. You are so good to us. We can't make it a moment without you. Help us, Lord, to lead others to you.
so they can make it through life with your help. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. God bless you. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.